Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. to turn to Psalm 32. We're going to read it first, then we're going to sing this lovely version of it by Timothy Dudley Smith. Psalm 32, you'll find it on page 462, uh, page 462 or large print 546. Psalm 32, a mascal of David. Let's hear God's Word together. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked." But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Hello. Um, It's great to see you all this evening. Uh, My name is Tom. I'm one of the ministry trainees here at Trinity. Let me add my welcome to David's. Uh, It's, again, great to see you all this evening. Let me begin by telling you about a friend I have from the States. His name is Robbie. He's great. He and his wife just had their first child. It's all very exciting and no doubt exhausting for them at the moment. Uh, But before their daughter was born, I went over to visit them down in London. Uh, We were chatting and they were talking about different parenting approaches uh, they were keen to implement with their first child. All you oldest children out there, you really are the guinea pigs. Um, And different things that their parents did well that they wanted to emulate as well as they could. One of these things surprised me a bit, but the more I thought about it, the more I really respected it. It's this. Whenever, it was, whenever Robbie was a child and into his teenage years, if he ever did anything that would get him into trouble, if he told his mom or his mom uh, what he did wrong, she would forgive him and defend him when the teachers phoned the house, when the neighbors came knocking, Now, this didn't mean that Robbie's mom never got angry or that Robbie got away with murder. He was still disciplined appropriately. 
um, as you'll be glad to know. Uh, but he knew the first place to run was to his mum, not away from her. We read something similar in today's passage in the experience of um, King David that's been read out for us. But he doesn't run to the one who can forgive him or defend him. He doesn't quite run away. He just kind of stays still. Fight, flight, or freeze. David froze. But not only did he freeze, he tried to pretend that nothing was wrong. He ignored his sin. Our passage, if you open back up to it, is the 32nd Psalm and is split up into four sections, which will be our four headings for this evening. First of all, you've got verses 1 and 2. It's the blessing of forgiveness. Then verses 3 to 7, the story of confession. Verses 8 to 9, the promise of guidance. And lastly, verses 10 and 11, is the encouragement of love. We've had it read for us, but in order to be upfront and unambiguous about the message this evening, I will say that the topic of this psalm is sin. Unpopular in today's culture, and oftentimes even in the church, why can't we hear about something a bit more uplifting, a bit more lighthearted, something inspiring maybe? Friends, there is nothing more upbuilding than facing reality. An inspirational message might entertain, but it won't get you through the rest of the day, let alone the week ahead. What we don't need to be is entertained. What we do need to be is what King David, who penned this psalm, was initially unwilling to be. We need to be open with ourselves and open with God to acknowledge our sin before him. We cannot have a relationship with God without addressing the elephant in the room, without acknowledging that there is a gaping divide, a chasm between us and God that is our own wrongdoing. But friends, brothers and sisters, there is no better news than what happens when we do, when we do acknowledge our sin. So although this may be a message about sin, it is no, by no means doom and gloom, bad news. It's wonderful news of liberation, of peace, of being able to breathe out a sigh of relief. If you haven't yet trusted in the Lord to forgive you, please know that you are most welcome here. Um, if you feel comfortable, stay for tea and coffee after the service. We'd love to get to know you. If you haven't trusted in the Lord but would like to, speak to someone tonight. If you'd like to speak to one of the staff team or welcome team, we'd love to chat to you. Or speak to the person who brought you here or even who's sitting next to you if you came by yourself. But if you feel that's you, don't go away tonight without having spoken to someone. What we will do this evening is quite straightforward. We'll work through the psalm, this song of David, and we'll be pointed to different places in scripture as we do so. But essentially, we'll just work, it, work through it from beginning to end. That being said... Take up your Bibles again and turn to Psalm 32 if you haven't done so. Um, so that's page 462 in the church Bibles and 546 in the blue larger print Bibles. And let's begin by looking at it from the beginning under our first heading, the blessing of forgiveness. Let me read from verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
The king is pronouncing a blessing over his people, God's people. The word blessed, a very Christian word, the meaning of which is fuzzy at best in most people's minds, does not mean simply fortunate, but happy, favored by God, and even prosperous. Happy, favored, prosperous is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It is implicit but clear in this verse that there are only two options. Option number one, be the one whose transgression is forgiven. Or option two, be the one whose transgression is not forgiven. There is no third option of never having transgressed, never having sinned. No one is innocent, not even one. No one is a mere victim. We are all perpetrators, doers of evil and wickedness. But before you start thinking that this whole message is going to be fire and brimstone, hear the verse again. Happy, favored, prosperous is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. This is a song, not a legal condemnation, um, legal pronouncement of condemnation or guilt. This is a heart of, this is a heart singing of the harmony that it has with the God of the universe. This is a happy good news psalm. Look again at verse 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Here we have the reveal. Who was it that forgave the transgression? Who covered the sin? It is the Lord, the covenant God. The Lord, all caps meaning I am who I am, whose name was revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai as the Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He is the merciful God, the God who is kind to us, the undeserving, who abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is a good news psalm, and no wonder. If when we reach the cosmic courts on that day, when all our deeds are to be judged and the books are opened, the books on which all that stands to or against our account is recorded, if when the books are opened, the worst things we've ever done are nowhere to be seen, how great will be the relief? How great will be the joy? And that's just what this psalm is saying will be the case for those who confess their sins to the Lord, seeking his forgiveness. Only there's a condition. There's always a condition. You may be thinking, what's the catch? The catch, if you can call it one, is honesty. See the end of verse two. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The Lord does not take kindly to those who deceive themselves and think, I'm not that bad. I don't need to confess my wrongdoing really or who tried to deceive him. It's not enough to admit a few, quote-unquote, smaller sins to him and let the bigger ones, the cherished ones, go unmentioned and unaffected. No. We must be honest with ourselves and with the Lord about the depth and breadth of our sin, or else it cannot be forgiven, covered, or not counted against us. Here, King David speak of his experience of trying to do just that, 
of trying to ignore his sin in our second point. This psalm is the story of confession. So first, it's the blessing of forgiveness, and now it's the story of confession. Verses three and four. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. As many of you know, I'm originally from Belfast. Uh, I say originally, I was born there and raised and there until I was 18 and moved to Scotland, so I'm just from Belfast. And when I say Belfast, I mean Belfast, Belfast, not just outside Belfast like every other Northern Irish person seems to be. And as many more of you will know, Belfast and Northern Ireland as a whole uh, isn't the hottest of climates. Uh, there's a reason Ireland is called the Emerald Isle. It's because it's, it rains a lot. Um, but one summer, about June, uh, we were having a hot spell. It wasn't the kind of record temperatures you hear about in Mediterranean heat waves or anything like that. It was really just a warm day. But I came home from school and I was convinced I had heat stroke. Were this the case, my parents informed me, I probably wouldn't be able to say I have heat stroke and I may have been the first case of it in Northern Irish history. <laughs> Needless to say, King David was not a deluded teenager when he spoke about his strength being dried up as by the heat of summer. He knew actual hot summers. Um, and he compares this discipline of the Lord, this feeling of complete lack, of great pain that resulted in groaning all day long and his bones wasting away, to being in the blazing furnace of a near eastern heat wave. And what was its cause? His silence. He did not confess his sins to the Lord. He harbored deceit in his spirit. And as a result, the Lord put him through a disciplining mercy to bring him to a place of confession. As God's people, each of us have experienced this, if not as strongly as David, at least in part. It's the tightness around your chest after you've cheated on a test, and all of a sudden you're scared of your own shadow. It's the burden of guilt of having clicked on that website you knew you shouldn't have looked at. It's the feeling of dirtiness after having gossiped about a friend or coworker. It's the sleepless night because of that lie that you told, that thing that you stole, that way that you betrayed those you love. But look at what happens next. Verse five. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and the Lord rejected me. The Lord said, not this time. The Lord said, you missed your last chance. No. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The words have barely passed David's lips, and the Lord has already put his guilt away from him. But that's all well and good. But David was God's chosen king. How do we know if the Lord wasn't specially favorable to David in forgiving his sin? Can we rely on him to do so for us, for me, for you? For that, I want us to look at two other places in scripture. Firstly, Genesis chapter three, right at the start of the Bible. Adam and Eve have just committed the first act of rebellion of man against God. They realize that they are exposed and they try to cover their nakedness by sewing together fig leaves to make for themselves loincloths in verse 7. They tried to do as David did. They tried to cover their own iniquity, their own feelings of shame. 
How often do we do this ourselves? We try to brush our wrongdoing under the carpet. We deny it. We're trying pride to lift ourselves out of it. We plaster smiles on our faces to convince the outside world that everything is fine, everything is fine, hoping that maybe if we keep up the act, then it will eventually become reality. But back in Genesis, what happens? After Adam and Eve are found out by the Lord, what does the Lord do? Though rightly burning with anger at his creation, his good world being spoiled, his love being spurned, his good decree being broken, what does he do? He stoops down in verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Let that sink in. Despite the great injustice committed against him, the Lord graciously covers the iniquity of his people. So that's our first stop, showing that the Lord has done this from the beginning. Next, let's turn to 1 John chapter 1. That's page 1021 in the church Bibles and 1210 in the blue Bibles. So 1021 in the church Bibles. Once you've got that, cast your eyes down to verse 9 of chapter 1. So chapter 1, verse 9. says this, if we confess our sins, he, that is the Lord, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me repeat that. If we confess our sins, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he is just to do so. Because Jesus died on the cross in the place of all who would trust in him, the Lord is just in forgiving us. Justice has been dealt out. But on the inverse side of that, because Jesus died on the cross for all who would trust in him, for forgiveness, the Lord is faithful to forgive us when we confess our sins to him. So that's the legal side of things. He forgives us, but he doesn't leave it at that. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That is, he doesn't say, okay, I've forgiven you, so no condemnation for you, and then leaves us there. As one Bible scholar writes, justification, that glorious doctrine, justification, is not good news if it only makes us legally acceptable to God, but doesn't bring fellowship with God. Justification is not good news if it only makes us legally acceptable to God, but doesn't bring fellowship with God. He deals with our legal debt and then he reconciles us to himself. He draws us close. He forgives us so that he can draw us close. Those of you who feel that the Lord couldn't forgive you or forgive you again, you feel that his patience with you must have run dry by this point, or that what you have done is just too horrible, that it must be unforgivable. To those of you who feel like this, take heart. He knows what you have done, 
And yet he gives you this promise. He gives it to you. Back in Psalm 32, we read the lesson we are to glean from David's experience. So turn back there with me. Verse 6, let everyone, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. At a time when you may be found. That time, friends, is now. Don't delay. If you have unconfessed sin before the Lord, pray to him now in the quiet of your heart and seek his face. Ask for his forgiveness and you'll be able to say with David, verse 7, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. This brings us on to our third point, the promise of guidance for those who have sought the Lord. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. How sweet the counsel we receive from the Lord following being forgiven by him. His commands are not burdensome for those who love him. His yoke is kind and his burden is light. And he does not leave us to fend for ourselves, but he promises his constant guidance. There are a couple of traps we could fall into, however, uh, at this point as we think about such guidance. The first trap is to think that the Lord is a kind of lifelong backseat driver. We've all been there, you're in a car, whether you or someone else is driving, and one or hopefully not more of the passengers is constantly telling the driver what they're doing wrong or what they could do better. If you've not experienced this, chances are you are that backseat driver. Sorry to let you know. <laughs> But the Lord's guidance is not irritating micromanagement, but tenderly given instruction and whole life teaching. As a parent teaches their child about the world so that they can navigate it with their help, but not having every decision made for them. The second trap we could fall into then is misunderstanding what kind of counsel or instruction he is promising here. Hear what one commentator helpfully says about this. The sort of guidance God is not promising here is what college you should go to, who you should marry, whether you should take a new job offer or some similar decision. Essentially, he's not a magic eight ball for life decisions, big or small. In context, this guidance concerns godly living. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. But here, verse 9 be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. The Lord promises his counsel but warns us not to be stubborn and slow to move or to stay near him. We are to follow him willingly. Charles Spurgeon, the great Puritan preacher, wrote on this that we are not pardoned that we may henceforth live after our own lusts but that we may be educated in holiness and trained for perfection. We are not pardoned that we may henceforth live after our own lusts, but that we may be educated in holiness and trained for perfection. We are to follow and follow willingly, but not merely willingly, but gladly, gratefully, joyfully. Which brings us to our final point, looking at the last two verses, the encouragement of love. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but 
And hear this, church family. Steadfast love, unchanging, unwavering love, immovable, abundant love, earnest, fervent, pursuing love, surrounds, embraces, envelops the one who trusts in the Lord, the God merciful and gracious, the God who delights to forgive, the God who delights to forgive. My friend Robbie, if you ran to his mum, he would be forgiven and defended. Might this be a helpful litmus test for us as well, showing us how well we really understand truly from our hearts that God is not only good, but merciful. That God is not only kind to the upright, but is gracious kind to us, the undeserving. If when we sin, we run away from the Lord, if we run away from God, it might just show us that we haven't yet grasped or haven't yet sufficiently grasped the liberty that is ours in this good news, this gospel of grace. For if we run to the Lord, no matter how dark and twisted our sin may appear to us to be and really be, we can be assured of his pardoning grace. Steadfast love surrounds the one who is perfect and in no need of forgiveness? No, surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. This is an invitation to all, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who fail and desire strength, and to all who sin and need a savior. This church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus the friend of sinners. Church family, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Amen.